What's up, fight fans? Happy Monday from the Couchside Judges. Scott Fontana here with my partner Dan Urban, ready to break down the judging from the third Fight Island event in just over a week. No judges were needed for the UFC Flyweight Championship main event between Davis and Figueiredo and Joseph Benavidez, as Brazil's God of War smashed his foe to become the new champ at 125 pounds. Scott and I have plenty of thoughts on that fight, as well as the future of the Flyweight division. But with six first-round finishes and 12 fights, we don't have as many contested rounds for you as usual. The judging, when needed, was maybe the best it's been at Fight Island. But we've got a few fights picked out to break down for you, including one pivotal flyweight bout from the main card. All right, Scott, so let's just jump right into it. Davis and Figueredo looked amazing on Saturday night. It's the most dominant performance I've ever seen someone hand out at 6 a.m., <laughs> what what do you think? 6, 6 a.m. for them, not 6 a.m. for us in America. Yeah, 6 a.m. in Abu Dhabi. <laughs> Still a crazy time to fight for a belt. That was a scary good performance by Figueredo. I mean, my goodness. I don't know. I I want to stay away from hyperbole, so I don't want to say it was the most lopsided championship fight that we've ever seen in the UFC, but, I mean, it certainly could be. It's got to be top five, right? Oh, it's definitely up there. I mean, that guy was scary good. You know, I can confidently say, too, that if that fight went another 12 seconds, that was a 10-7 round. Yeah, I have to agree. That was that was a 10-7 round. I mean, we're talking about a fight where Figueredo gets a knockdown pretty early on. He goes for three rear naked choke attempts of varying degrees of closeness. They get back up. Benavides survives. And then he gets knocked down again. And somehow he's still able to hold on. Until his body just gave out on that choke. He didn't tap. The guy said, I'm going out. Yeah, he wasn't going to tap. Uh, I don't think it's in his uh, in his DNA to tap there. You know, he was saying in the post-fight uh, interviews that he was doing on, on the ESPN broadcast, he said he kind of always wondered if he would tap out or not because he had never been submitted and, and he still has not tapped out. You know, he went out, so he didn't really have any control over that, but... It was one of those things that he was able to find out about himself. Was you know, am I going to tap or not? Now he wasn't put in a position where he had to worry about tap or snap. It was you know, tap or go out at least, which is I guess the preferable of the two, right? Yeah, I'd rather go to sleep than have uh, an injury I have to deal with for the next however many months. Most definitely, and Benavides knows a little thing or two about long layoffs from injuries too. So, uh, but you know, put the focus on Figueredo here. The man was amazing. Uh, you know, he looks like he's going to be a problem for flyweights. I really don't see him having much of a challenge there for a little while. Do you see weaknesses in his game? That's one thing I'm kind of struggling to figure out. I mean, obviously everybody has weaknesses, but what do you see? Maybe maybe gas tank. I don't know. Yeah, we still don't know what he's going to be doing if it ever gets to the championship rounds. He's gone three full rounds uh, a couple times, I believe, in the UFC. Uh, but we don't know what it would look like in round four, round five. Seemed like he made the cut just fine. Seemed like the last time was kind of an isolated incident. Yeah, let's hope so. I, we don't need any more uh, title fights being non-title fights because of uh, missed weight. He's just so big. He hits so hard, and he's he's a really good grappler too. So he just he's got a lot of ways he can threaten you. And yeah, that's he, a problem. He's well-rounded. He, he's he's good at everything. He really might have a very. This might be the start of a very long title reign. Perhaps, maybe it's uh, Mighty Mouse-esque. Yeah, speaking of Mighty Mouse, because uh, the thought kind of came back to me after this fight was, Mighty Mouse is still out there. 
you and I both agree that he had a very good case, a very strong case to have actually been the victor over Henry Cejudo a couple of years ago when he did lose the belt. Now he's over at 1FC, but he's still fighting. He hasn't lost over there. He looks fine. Who's the best at 125 pounds? Is it Figueredo or is it Mighty Mouse? It's still Mighty Mouse. I'd love for a way for them to meet up at some point. I don't know if, yeah, if that's it's, possible it's, or it's not. It's a pipe dream. It's a pipe dream. I wish they could. I wish this didn't just have to be a a, a thought exercise and we could actually be talking about a fight that would happen. But ugh. Yeah, because that's probably the most exciting 125-pound fight that they could book. It is. and But, you know, it's, and it's worth the reason it's worth pointing this out isn't just to do, you know, oh, what if. It's really also the fact that Flyweight is the one division where the UFC willingly said, you know what, we're okay not having a monopoly on the true elite fighters, and they let him walk. When he was, if he wasn't the best, he was 1B, you know? Yeah, I, I still don't get why they got rid of him. It seems like they almost want this division to fold. They really, they do, they don't promote it the way it ought to be promoted. And so I, I'm hoping that Davison isn't thrown into like super fights at 135 and they actually try to build a title run for him. The feeling I always got from Mighty Mouse's exit was it kind of the stars all aligned because there was interest in bringing Ben Askren in. And I think Mighty Mouse probably was kind of a little tired of the way UFC did business. I don't blame him because the guy tried to be a star for a long time. He's he's personable. He's exciting. He was dominant. You know, I don't I don't know why he couldn't have been promoted to become a star. I mean, the UFC is the promoter. They're supposed to promote. So if they can't make him a star and he's putting himself out there, I interviewed him a few times. It's just a shame that it didn't happen. But yeah, it is disappointing that that we're in this situation, but it is what it is. I guess they just didn't care about the flyweight division at that point, like you're saying. But hopefully they care now. Let's hope so, because they got a couple of good guys that are up and coming that that may pose some kind of a challenge. And it's a fun division. I mean, they're these are action-packed guys. You know, maybe they're not always finishers, but they finish a lot more than I think people think. And let's be honest, between you and me as actual fight fans, who would you rather watch? Like a generic fight of generic heavyweight fight or generic flyweight fight? Heavyweights don't deserve more than one round. <laughs> You've, as you say, yes. Um, I think that answers it pretty closely. But what does this loss now do for Benavidez? He's not going to get another shot at any titles that that dream is dead for him he knows that what does it do for him i guess he just tries to take fights that interest him now i mean but he's still always going to be at the top of the of the rankings there so is he definitely out of the t another title shot I don't, I don't know dana has said so um he was talking like he was i don't think he has anything to offer figueredo you know as long as figueredo has that belt which could be for a while you know, Benavidez, he I wouldn't want to see them fight again. That that's not a <laughs> that's not a fair matchup anymore. I don't think we can look at that and say that. So but he did say he wants to keep fighting and that's his prerogative. I just I don't know what else there is left for him to prove, but you know, he can do what he wants. Like you said, if he's looking for interesting fights or he just wants to continue fighting and proving to himself that he can continue to do this or make money, you know, this is this is how he's made money for a long time, that's fine too. Um but yeah, I mean, I don't think any of these title losses, which he's now 0-4 in the UFC, and that doesn't even include uh, a WEC shot that he lost against Dominic Cruz early in his career. I don't think all the losses in these title fights diminish his career accomplishments because for me, he still has one of the finest resumes in modern MMA that doesn't have a world title on it, a major world title. Yeah, he's had a fantastic career, but 
real quick, if he goes out and he beats every single contender and finds himself at the top of the list again, are they seriously going to say, you lost four times already? We're not going to give you a fifth chance? If Figueroa has the belt, yeah. <laughs> That's why the rankings, they mean nothing. Throw them out. Get rid of them. Correct. Correct. They they do mean nothing. They're not enforced by anything. Um, <laughs> part of the reason I'm not on the rankings panel anymore. Uh, just just doesn't really serve a purpose. Um, but you know, let, let's let's talk about that. Who who actually should get this first crack at uh, Figueroa's championship? Here we've got three contenders in my eyes. Where it's Brandon Moreno, Alex Perez, and Askar Askarov. Who do you think out of those three is probably the most deserving? Or most interesting, and who would you rather see? Is it do those things all line up? I want to see. I want to see Askarov uh, because he just beat the guy that was supposed to be next in line in Pantoja. Well, he was going to be the uh, the emergency kind of step in if someone missed weight. Yeah, and or Brandon Marina. I'm not really sold on Alex Perez getting the shot next, but if you go Askarov or Moreno, I'll be fine with that. I mean, they actually fought each other to a draw, so I think they're kind of right, right there. Yeah, I don't know if you can go really wrong here. I think you've got three guys that are probably just as deserving as one another. You know, Moreno getting the win over Juicier Formiga at the very beginning of the pandemic. That was that was a big feather in his cap. I still question whether he really won that fight or not. Um, but I don't think you can go wrong. If, if I had my pick, I would say Alex Perez, but I don't think he's going to get it. I think it's probably Moreno or Askarov. Perez also beat Juicier Formiga. So. Yes, he did. Perez looked even better against Formiga. So I guess you can make that argument for him. I, I was more in the Marino Askarov uh, camp. No, no, I'm I'm sticking with Perez, but I don't think he's going to get the shot. I mean, who knows? <laughs> who knows what the criteria to get a, a title shot is? But speaking of Askarov, let's move into contested rounds because he had a fight on the main card on Saturday. All the judges agreed that Askarov won a 29 to 28 decision. You and I, when we first watched it, actually disagreed with all the judges on round two, we said that Pantoja, Alexandre Pantoja, won the first two rounds and Askarov won the third. Now, I I thought watching live that the that round two really could have gone either way. Yeah, round two was close. I, I thought what sealed it was uh, Pantoja getting the back and then he landed a couple strikes from there. I said uh, that kind of uh, puts him over for me. You know, I mean, I'm watching him and I'm watching him slow down and he definitely wasn't putting in the same level of work in the middle part of the round as, as you had seen in the first six, seven minutes or so. But I did think he ended up doing enough, at least in live watching. But having watched it again, I do feel that absolutely all three judges, uh, Lucas Bosaki, David Leatherby, and Clemens Werner, they all made the right choice here, that the rightful winner was Askar Askarov. Yeah, on second watch, Askarov was actually landing some pretty good strikes. Uh, not many, but the ones he did throw were pretty solid. Funny thing is, Pantoja actually did outland Askarov by three, which is not much. And, you know, we're talking about quality when we're grading each of these strikes. Is that, you know, not all strikes are created equal. No strike is really created equal. Uh, but, yeah, I, I got to say, Pantoja, he just disappeared for long segments of that fight. And I don't think he really made up much of the ground when he took it to the ground and he took the back for like a brief moment. He kind of just fell off. He didn't really do anything with it. Yeah, he just he landed two strikes. So I was like, oh, he got a little, he got a little something out of it. Yeah. So you know, this this really for me, it just cements why we need to defer to the judges instead of getting all worked up, especially right in the heat of the moment. Because sometimes you can watch a fight again, knowing the way the judges scored it, and say, okay, let's watch back and let's see what they were looking for or what they were looking at 
and how they might have scored it that way. And then ask yourself, okay, does that line up? You know, sometimes it can, sometimes it can't, you know, we also can't put ourselves in those particular seats that they're occupying. We watch at home, we have different angles, but at the end of the day, you kind of do have to trust, especially the more accomplished judges. And David Leatherby is certainly one of the most accomplished judges uh, internationally. So I, I, I defer to him. Yeah, for the most part, they do a great job. And I think in this case, all three of these judges got it right. But, you know, there was one other fight that I kind of wanted to delve a little deeper into, and this was because of disagreement among all three judges. And that was in the, it was the first fight of the night, right? Sergey Spivak against Carlos Felipe. Yep, that was the first fight. So Sergey Spivak won a majority decision, but he got there in kind of a funny way, as, as a lot of majority decisions end up being, because you don't see a lot of majority decisions, right? Right. Round one, let's talk about that one, because this was the first time the judges disagreed. So how did you see it? Yeah, so round one, I thought it was a close round. I thought Spivak landed cleaner, and every time he threw, he got a much bigger reaction. I mean, Felipe threw a bunch of strikes, but it seemed like a lot really weren't getting that getting through or having that much impact. Spivak's jab was really good. It was it was clearly ending with force. Yeah, he he basically won that round off a jab. Yeah, and and you can do that in MMA. This isn't boxing here. You know, you can hit especially heavyweight. <laughs> Your jab can hit pretty hard if you've got it working. Yeah, for uh, for sure. Hey, so yeah, so I I lean Spivak too. Uh, so the judge that you and I agreed with was Ben Cartledge, uh, whereas the other two uh, judges assigned to this one. Anders Olsen and Vito Palillo, they went 10-9 Felipe. It was close, but the funny thing with Felipe was he, he kept doing this, this gesturing every single time a strike touched him. It was kind of like a nah, didn't touch me, nah, whatever, nah, it didn't hurt. Da, da, da. Every time you do that, you are letting the judge know that it touched you, period. So if it wasn't clear before, it is now. Yeah, almost saying, oh, they didn't touch me. They didn't <sighs> come close stop. to me. But you uh, got to stop doing that. It doesn't work. And I don't think it's getting inside of opponents' heads. You know, it didn't seem to deter Spivak at all. Yeah, it, well, it shouldn't get in anyone's head at this level. No, certainly not. And Spivak, he's, this was his fourth fight in the UFC. He's 2-2 two and two now. Uh, it's not the type of thing that I think is going to intimidate him. He's, he's a tough guy. He's, he's, a decent, he's a decent heavyweight. I actually kind of like Spivak. Yeah, I like the strike, and he looked, uh, it, was, it was solid. I was, I, I was impressed by his jab. But round two, moving on to the next round here, the judges also disagreed. Now, most of them saw it the same way we did, which was 10-9 for Felipe. You got that from Cartledge and Olsen. But Spivak got a 10-9 from Paolillo here. So Paolillo had the opposite round scores as you and I. Cartledge had the same. And Olsen just thought that Felipe was up two rounds to none, which to me sounds a little silly. But it was the first round was close. First round was definitely close. Uh, but round two was so, kind of a similar round, except I felt Felipe's shots were actually getting through this time. Yes. I, I did think it was an even closer round two, but you're right. He was he was landing with power more frequently. And even though Spivak had an edge in the strikes landed, I did think that his strikes were more impactful. Yeah, Fili yeah like I say, uh, Felipe actually wasn't just hitting gloves this time. He, he was getting through. Yeah. But either way, it didn't make too much of a difference because in round three, Spivak comes out and he takes a total 10-8, no question. All three judges had a 10-8, so he left any doubt out the window there. Yeah, total beatdown. Uh, mm -hmm. Even the commentators were saying, I mean, uh, he can't feel that confident that he's winning two rounds to just completely 
take this round off the way he did. I don't think anyone's taking the round off when they're getting beat like that. <laughs> that, was, that was very lopsided. Yeah, he had no urgency whatsoever. Uh, to, I'm thinking he probably ran out a little bit of gas. Yeah. He was probably, yeah, he's a big boy, yeah. so he's pretty tired. Yeah, I wouldn't blame him uh, carrying all that weight there. But again, it didn't matter in the end because we had the majority decision that left everything easy call there. Didn't matter. Yeah, uh, easy victory for Spivach. Now, moving on to the 10-8 watch, this is kind of a good transition because we just talked about a 10-8 round here. There was a round in the Grant Dawson versus non-Niramani fight, and that was a lopsided win for Dawson. Uh, but there was a round that went 10-8 for Dawson from two judges, Leatherby and Olsen, whereas Dawson only got a 10-9 from Clemens Werner. Did you think it was a 10-8 or a 10-9? I definitely thought this was a 10-8. Me too. Yeah, I, mean, I, I thought this was pretty easy here, although I, I can see a debate, I have to say. Naramani had a very good first minute. He was landing well, and then nothing. It was it was all Dawson from there. He took it down, domination, striking, and grappling. And he didn't take uh, a break either. No. He just poured no, it on. He had all three Ds. Just kept pouring it on. I thought that was clear-cut 10-8. Uh, Damage, dominance, duration. I, I thought it was enough, but I do at least understand the counter-argument because you do have to grade the round as a whole, and... I can see Werner's uh, hesitance here. I'll say this, though, for Werner. He had, out of 12 rounds scored, this was the only one we disagreed with, and I can kind of see his point there. So I, I thought he did very well, and he's been a very strong judge, I think, this whole week. So credit to Clemens Werner there. But yeah, moving on to lightning rounds here, where we're just going to touch real quick on some rounds. There was one more round in Dawson-Naramani that I wanted to talk about. 10-9 Dawson round three from only two of the judges, whereas the third... David Leatherby gave it to Naramani. Did you think there was much of an argument for Naramani here? I did not see an argument at all for Naramani. I can understand what his reasoning might be. I can only imagine it was uh, the last 30 seconds where Dawson's kind of seems hurt and he's just grappling, trying to hold on for the final 30 seconds. I did not think that was strong enough to take the round, but I could see that being why he went that way. Yeah, I don't know. To me, Naramani was visibly hurt by those kicks. He was just getting pummeled to the body, too. I thought Dawson cruised here. Didn't really see much of an argument for it. Leatherby saw something. You know, like I said, he's a veteran judge who I, I trusted judgment on. At the very least, it didn't matter because this fight was completely comfortably for Dawson, no matter what happened, unless Naramani got a finish. Yeah, for, that was that was all Dawson. Another quick round to touch on. Rafael Faziev getting the unanimous decision victory over Mark Giacchese in a really fun fight on the main card. Round three, though, this was the split round where I saw it for Fiziev 10-9, along with David Leatherby, whereas you saw it 10-9 for Dikizi, alongside Lucas Bosaki and Anders Olsen. What made you go for Dikizi? I actually ended up switching today. Uh, oh, I, I, I rescored okay. it for uh, Fiziev. Uh, original watch, I thought Dikizi hurt him more than he ha actually did. So that that's right, what that's I, I scored for, but... Uh, no, I, I think Fiziev uh, clearly took this one. It was a close round when I was... I didn't rewatch this again because I felt comfortable with it, but it was a close round. I toyed with the idea of giving it to Jakezi, but I did think that Fiziev was strong enough in this round that I gave it to him. And, you know, again, another situation where Fiziev had already won the first two rounds. If you if all three judges gave it to Jakezi, he still lost, so it didn't matter. Yeah, I mean, he, um, had, he had really good body work. That he, he looked really good in this fight. Yeah, he did. I, I'd like to see him again. I'm looking forward to uh, Fiziev's next fight. Uh, as I am looking forward to the next fight from Armin Sarukian, 
who got a unanimous decision over Davi Ramos on the prelims. But round two, this was another split round here. I think everybody except for Lucas Posaki gave this one to Sarukian. Did you see an argument for Ramos uh, here? I really didn't. I, I didn't think any of Ramos's strikes were all that effective. I mean, even the ones he landed, I mean, really wasn't effective. I thought Sarukian was solid striking throughout that whole round. Everything landed hard. I thought it was a pretty clear-cut call for him. Yeah, same. Yeah, this ultimately didn't end up mattering, but it was round two, so you never know what, when things like that can throw a monkey wrench into the way things end up being scored. But yeah, he saw something. <laughs> That's all I can say. But uh, yeah, this this was a clear clear victory for Sarukian, and, and he will be fun to watch next time. There was another fight that the judges got unanimously correct here in, in our estimation, in addition to the, the Askarov fight, which obviously we saw wrong the first time. I think we've come around too. Brett Johns, they all gave 29-28 the victory over Montel Jackson. And that was the right call. Yeah, that, that was uh, that was good for them. Easy. Do you have a favorite finish out of the six uh, that went that uh, ended in the first round? Absolutely. Ariane Lipsky's knee bar against Luana Carolina was one of the nastiest knee bars I've ever seen. She's stuck in a calf slicer and just countered with a knee bar while she's <sighs> still upright, wrenching the leg, and it ended with another cry out sub. It yeah, this is the second straight vicious. event where we had a woman cry out after a tap out and this is not me trying to hammer home any sort of sexist oh women are, are not tough enough here i think it's the opposite i think it's it's showing just how tough these women are they're they're able to inflict this type of violence and try to resist it as long as they can but gosh once you feel it you get a knee bar like that i don't care what sex you are what gender you are you are not going to be happy that you didn't tap sooner oh um, it was just so vicious it was. And another leg lock. This was my favorite finish. Jack Hermanson getting the heel hook over Kelvin Gastelum in a co-main event there. Gastelum gave zero respect to Hermanson's attack, and he paid for it. If I was to have picked a method of victory from Hermanson, I would have picked submission because I do think he has very, very good grappling chops. And I think that was an area where Kelvin was weak. I didn't pick one. I did think he was going to win. I thought... Picked uh, Joker to win that one. Side note, it's actually Joker, Jack the Joker Hermanson got the victory 12 years to the day after the Dark Knight featuring Heath Ledger's Joker came out. Oh, nice little tidbit there. I mean, Hermanson actually did say heel hook is his best sub while people think it's that guillotine he does. But he did say, no, the heel hook is my number one. I believe him now. I most definitely do. <laughs> uh, one thing I want to throw in here, too. Actually, this was an interesting little judging tidbit as well. Out of the six first round finishes mark collette the judge was assigned to all six of them he didn't need to turn in a single round score perfect but he was night. on six fights perfect perfect night. fight easy night he got the best view of the most action the best action and didn't have to do anything he got paid for it kudos mark yeah that's great job <laughs> what can what more can you say that's that's a perfect night for a judge yeah, i would have to think absolutely That's all we have for this one. Dan and I kept it short and sweet for you guys this time. We'll have another Couchside Judges for you Friday morning, ahead of the huge Robert Whitaker-Darren Till fight, with a whopping 15 bouts currently on tap for that one. Yikes. Please make sure to subscribe to our show on Apple, Spotify, wherever it is you're hearing this right now. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter, at Couchside Judges, as well as myself, at Scott underscore Fontana. 
And find me on Twitter as well at DanUrbanMMA. Catch you at the end of the week for more fight talk. Later, guys. Thank <laughs> you.